and enjoy Radio Free Brooklyn. This is what Brooklyn sounds like. All right. Hey, guys. Welcome back to um, you're listening to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday news hour live on Radio Free Brooklyn. And uh, who do we have in the studio today, Matt? We got a full studio. We All have right. you, yeah. Emily Scott, our <laughs> fearless host. We have Teresa uh, in transit, yes. which we can all relate to. Uh, we have two new um, contributors to Radio, yeah. not Radio Free Brooklyn, yeah. uh, but to Objection to the Rules specifically, yeah. Jasmine Smith and Sarah Weck. How are you two doing? I'm doing all right. How are you? We're doing good. And we're going to have... You debut some um, some on some live um, good news uh, for a good news segment at the end of the show, isn't that right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. E- Emily, I, I was curious though. Was it your idea to come up with the good news segment? It was actually Teresa's. Who Teresa. um, we can have her talk about it a little bit when she gets here. Poor girl. Um, but yeah, that L train twenty minute situations throwing everybody off. But. Um, yeah, no, it was her idea, and I think it's a great idea. I think a lot of news is, tends to skew negative just because of the nature of the need to know about news. Um, but it's nice to know that there's some stuff in the world that's looking up. That's certainly it, right? That's yeah. the, the point isn't to um, confirm our deepest fears <laughs> about yeah, the, the inaction of the world. Speaking of the inaction of yeah. the world, you recently covered the climate strike yeah, covered is maybe. I mean, I went you, to the climate strike. You went and got I went. some live tape. I got some live recordings. I got about a minute and a half of some audio. So I'm gonna I'm gonna talk about the climate strike itself. It was this past Friday, and then I actually to like put listeners in the time and place. I'm gonna play a little audio I took from it, which um which might be good. I don't know. We're playing something new. It's something we haven't done in the current iteration of the show. So we're gonna play with that. Um, but yeah. So for those who don't know, this past Friday, um, millions of people in cities around the world gathered to demand action from leaders and politicians to fight climate change. The founder of this youth-led movement with a focus on striking from school is 16-year-old Swedish activist Greta Thunberg, who is actually at the New York City-specific rally, um, scheduled ahead of Monday's United Nations Climate Action Summit. Um, Just FYI, she sailed to New York um, on an emissions-free yacht because she refuses to fly um, just because she is so dedicated to the whole thing. And it's Truly an inspiration and just like, gosh, darn girl, get it. Um, <laughs> you know, speak, speak your truth. Um, in New York specifically, um, city school officials gave students permission to take the day off and protest uh, with parental consent. Um, and crowd size has been estimated to be anywhere from 60,000 to 250,000 people. Um, OK, so I'm going to play a little bit of that audio. Um, just hang tight.
greenhouse gas emissions, deforestation, ocean dead zones, habitat destruction, and species extinction. If you choose to eat the flesh and bones of animals, you will be here year after year as the planet finally combusts. We have an urgent responsibility to eat every day in a way that nourishes us and our planet. Animal agriculture is the single greatest polluting industry on this planet. If you stay on here and make a difference, we're all together. We did the same thing. We took our time, effort, energy to be here, to stand for the environment. Did we not? Did we not? We did. Okay, that's great. Now, you can do something every single day, three times a day. There you go. So that was some of the audio I took, maybe putting you in the place. Um, uh, the one guy in particular I found really not like, I don't know, he he had a bullhorn and um, specifically pointed out like the hot dog and like hamburger stands along the route saying like, well, go vegan. These people are the re- blah, 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 the rainforest, yada, yada, which you heard. But um, yeah, no, it was it was cool. And um, like lots of music, lots of, you know, very New York specific. Lots of fun signage. Uh, there was one that said, "The wrong Amazon is burning." Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, it's pretty wild. But um, but yeah. So, what do y'all think? Are we doomed or what? <laughs> um, are movements like this going to be enough to get done what needs to get done? Um, or are we fully skeptical at this point of that happening? I mean, I'm always skeptical. Yeah, you know that. But yeah. I think. This oh yeah, and Teresa, you you, you popped in now. by the way. Hi everybody. <laughs> Um, yeah, I'm always skeptical, but I do think that this is something we haven't seen before. I mean, there's been lots of different marches on climate change over the years, but um, for it to come down to like the youth, I think that's a really great um, show that we're actually getting through. We're getting through to the future generation. So that's actually going to make mm-hmm. a difference in how we as people govern ourselves moving forward. So I think that's a good thing. Now, how far that's going to go? I don't know. But I am very excited that the youth are being involved. I think that's yeah. a really good move. Yeah. Agreed. Mm. Yeah. I think um, what you mentioned, this is Jasmine, by the way. Yeah. You don't know my voice, but this is <laughs> what I sound like. Um, but you mentioned um, Greta Thunberg mm-hmm. doing the trip across the Atlantic in an emissions-free boat. And I think that's one thing that's missing. I don't like how sometimes there's so much emphasis on very small things. Mm. that individuals can do when there's so many things that do the bulk of the damage that don't get addressed, like flying everywhere when mm-hmm. you could have rapid rail. Like it doesn't make sense that you yeah. have to get in a plane and do all this. So yeah, I think there should be more and hopefully there will be more pressure on like making those massive overhaul changes instead of like, Oh, well I have this type of straw, so that's it. But you're still doing yeah. or contributing to so much oh. other. And that's and I'm so glad you said that, because that's something that we've talked about on the show um, a bunch that specifically include like flying I is a whole thing that and the lack of in, um, investment in our infrastructure that can make positive changes. But then also, you know, like the vast majority of climate change pollution is coming from like 100 major corporations. And like it's kind of a distraction that all this media is saying like, oh, you know, you have to recycle more and it's up to you. And if we all pitch in, blah, 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 that's not 100 percent true because mm-hmm. as an indiv- it's it's distracting from people kind of saying, well, like this company, though, 
what are you doing and why aren't you doing more? Mm. So yeah, it's yeah. like, do, do you want to feel better right. or do you want your to actually feel like you're not burning? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then so while students were allowed to take the day off to protest, uh, New York City school teachers and employees were not allowed to attend um, because the education department had, quote, determined that doing so would violate rules ensuring a politically neutral learning environment, uh, which I got from a New York Times article by Anne Bernard and James Barron on the strikes. Um, so how do we feel about a rally for environment and the environment being considered politically non-neutral? Hmm. That's a good question. Right. Um, it, I definitely think that it is a political thing. I mean, it's nice to be phrased in such a way, but standing up for something like this that we don't have as much control over makes it political. You know, mm-hmm. it's not like, like you just said, our personal contributions to this problem are not where the stem of the problem is. So taking a stance on it um, globally I think because I feel like it's happening right. everywhere, obviously, mm-hmm. that makes it political. So we can keep it non-neutral if that's what they want in order to bring more people in the fold. But I mean, we're in a day and age where you can stand strongly um, in how you feel. And, you know, I, I think that's just semantics, honestly, non-neutral. Because, yeah. I mean, how did you feel while you were out there? Did you feel like you were out there just to see? Were you neutral or is this something that you're really passionate about? Well, I... I Maybe not answering specifically that question, but like in general, like it felt it felt political because it felt like there was people, you know, like like, you know, dethrone the wannabe dictator and stuff like that. Like it was political in that sense. But it's I guess it comes down to the root question is why is an issue about the climate a political issue at all? Like because it affects everybody, Um, you know, and why I guess why is science a political issue, which gets very you know, dark territory, which we've also kind of touched on here yeah. previously, but it's scary. To, it's it's kind of scary. In, in my mind, things become political when you have to fight for it. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? If you have to fight to have your voice heard or for a positive change to be made that's going to affect the whole, then it becomes political because you're not in the decision making mm-hmm. stance. You Trisa, know? you worked you work in schools, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I did a little bit. I used to run some after school programs and I, I interpret this as not being that the school board is making a decision about if teachers have the right to have a political opinion on this, but more taking a step back so that they're not trying to influence or like trying to like empower uh, students and like the youth sense it was like a youth centered um, strike. That's kind of my interpretation. Does okay. that sound yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I agree with you. You know, it's, it's tough when children have to be political. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's just me because I was like on the front lines marching when I was like 12. <laughs> um, but, you know, I'm from Ohio, so that's a whole nother story. Um, but I, I do agree that it shouldn't have to be that, you know, and that maybe that's what's taking the sting out of it. But I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I feel like I'm not sorry, actually. I feel like it should be become at this point, because if if we have no power to make any of these changes, but we are all victims you know, to the sense yeah. we are all somewhat victims of what could happen if we don't. Right. And also on a side note, it is interesting that the city can take a well, a city can take the political stance, but then the student they can't, you know, the employees of the city can't. Yeah. It's an interesting like dichotomy kind of that yeah. specifically the education department says no, while the overarching government says it's OK. I feel like if any department should say yes, it should be the education. Yeah, well, department. they let the students, right? Yeah. yeah, they do. It's interesting that they they divided it in that sense. Um for the any last thoughts before we move forward for the interest of time 
Um, I would just say like the climate issue. It's super political because it also it affects everyone, but it also affects different people like so unequally. Like even with like some of the blackouts that happened in the mm-hmm. summer, with yeah. Con Ed making a decision like we're gonna make sure that these people have AC or whatever, mm-hmm. but then other poor neighborhoods they had their stuff shut off. So it is kind of like we're all in it together, but some of us are way deeper in it than mm-hmm. others. And you see that with, you know, a lot of poor countries like mm-hmm. who are suffering the most. Like, where are these climate refugees coming from? So, yeah, I think pretending like it's a neutral issue just doesn't really make. Yeah, that's fair. Sense. And then and when you look at walk, clean water, too, and what cities still don't have clean water, Newark and Flint. And- it's really sad that that's actually a political issue in this yeah. country. Yeah. yeah pretty fucked up <laughs> all right yeah to say the least just saying it that all is. right no fcc regulations i can say what i want um okay so anyway okay moving on for the interest of time um our second local news story um is a fun one with the i think is a fun one with kind of a political stance as well um so a guerrilla psa campaign signage campaign has started appearing on new york city subways in reaction to a new MTA campaign and crackdown aimed at combating fare evaders, a.k.a. turnstile jumpers. Um, the official MTA signage says things like, quote, together we can make a better system and list ways to prevent others from getting through without paying. Uh, the gorilla signs using the same graphic design and even the MTA logo says together we can make a better world and list some reasons why a person might evade fare, like maybe they don't have two dollars and seventy five cents. Maybe they were laid off, et cetera, and reminding people that it's legal to swipe fellow riders through. If you want to see images of the signs, um, there are some good ones in the AM New York article I got a lot of this research from by Nicole Brown titled uh, Gorilla MTA Signs Tell New Yorkers Don't Snitch, Swipe, Defending Fairy Baiters. Um, so the MTA estimates that it loses hundreds of millions of dollars a year to fairy baiters, um, people who just get in without paying. Um, although a GQ article from February of this year of this year uh, by Jay Willis entitled Turnstile Jumpers Aren't What's Ruining the New York City Subway pointed out that that's just a drop in the bucket compared to the billions of dollars in debt the MTA is in. Um, also, a 2017 report by the Community Service Society found that arrests for fare evasion in Brooklyn were, quote, concentrated around high poverty black neighborhoods. Surprise, surprise. Uh, furthermore, according to New York uh, Police Department data, more than 85% of those arrested for evading fare at the, the, quote, top stations in the second quarter of this year were black or Hispanic. Um, that's from the M- uh, AM New York article as well. Um, so is this a valid crackdown or as some graffiti on one of the official MTA signs say, is it just criminalizing poverty? It's criminalizing poverty. I'm a, I'm a victim of the MTA police um, coming really? here. Yes, it's so ridiculous. And I'm yeah. on the run still, just so you know. <laughs> oh, oh, uh, they no. might come in here and get me. You should like, have. I you know it. what I mean? Yeah, mm-hmm. I like that. It kind of goes with my name. Um, but <laughs> no, seriously. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> seriously, coming here one day because I live in Flatbush. So, you mm-hmm. know, you can't like cross Brooklyn right. without problems. Very right? hard. Yeah. So I finally found an express bus that will get me to the train that will get me here. Mm-hmm. And I'm like leaving early on a Sunday. You know, my Sundays are special. God is dope. <laughs> but I'm like in a good space. I'm on time. I'm leaving early. And one of those express buses, you know, you have to pay outside. Yeah. So the select right. service. Ones yes. With the so I'm like trying to fumble with the ticket thing and the guy pulls up he sees me there and he pulls he's about to pull off and i just like jump off before the ticket comes off literally like three blocks down the street 
the first time ever I've seen the police get on the bus and I'm the only one of course that they let off that ticket was like $110 yeah, or some stupid shit like that and did I pay it no and I went off <laughs> on the guy because I was like are you serious do you know how much I pay for my monthly metro card right and he was just you know he kind of gave me this eye like sorry my supervisor's there but in all actuality like I'm sorry that's just too much it like is. really yeah. $110 for a $2.75 yeah. ticket that I had a metro card for right but because the bus driver's not patient, he left me. So I'm a victim of this crime. I think it's a crime <laughs> to charge New Yorkers anymore for this shitty service. And I'm upset about yeah. it. So anyway, yeah, I, I digress. No, but. and I think your anger is not, not unfounded. Like the idea that, so by charging $100 for missing $275, I don't, I don't know if the assumption is that you have the money to pay and you just refuse to because the people, a lot of the people who don't pay don't have that money today. Exactly. They don't have it for a while. They're whatever for whatever reason and the idea that you're gonna then put them in a criminal category where they will definitely not be able to have a hundred dollars to pay exactly is ridiculous yeah i mean i at all the years that i've lived in new york i can't even tell you how much money i have paid yeah you know i feel like it's even more than it would cost me to have a car and insurance mm -hmm. you know like the, the life i used to have before i came to this ratchet <laughs> city but however i still love new york but these are things that make it hard to be here right. you know what i'm saying yeah i wasn't doing anything it's not criminal intent i was not trying to get my fare i clearly had mm -hmm. the card if they would have made me get off the bus that's one thing yeah but to get off the bus and charge me a hundred dollars oh i was hot and then oh. i ended up having to use an uber so you know i do think it's definitely racialized yeah um, the statistics confirm that yeah can you tell me another place in america where they have this stupid crime i uh, heard in la it's kind of bad like my best friend is out there and she's like it feels like it's getting to be that way here where you'll have police just posted up like waiting for wow. people and they'll wait and they'll single out like you like show me that you paid but they don't do that to everyone right okay. of course not and yeah. you see that more and more here. it's scary like you'll just see mm -hmm. a line of cops just waiting for someone it's like what how much money are you a taxpayer spending for you to be posted up doing this exactly can you be helping something or yeah, working towards some kind of social service to yeah. help alleviate these problems. But yeah. so you just have better things to, to do. Someone. Like, yeah. yeah, this is just the way that the system has been um, put together to somewhat just like put us all in these boxes that we can't really control. Um, I feel like, um, I don't know. I mean, something needs to be done. It, at, at the very least, it should be the cost of a parking ticket. Like it should not be something that will, right. you know, make you not be able to pay a bill. I mean, if you even if you want to double it, charge you know, seven, 10, 11 <laughs> bucks or whatever, like eight bucks, whatever. Like, but to, to make it a hundred is like, is it's outrageous. It's outrageous. Yeah. yeah. Um, in the interest of time. Yes. I think we should move forward to our, fir our first uh, music break. That sounds good. Any last thoughts on this one, guys? I was going to say, yeah. hi, this is Sarah. You Hi's haven't Sarah. heard my voice yet. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm not exactly sure, but it seems to me that if they lowered the price of the me like the metro card to begin with, then more people would be able to pay it, and there would be less of these offenses, and they would they wouldn't be losing so much money. Right. Like, so I don't. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, they they actually earlier this year they um that was something I was well whatever they they instituted a a fair f a i r f a r e a fair mm. fair program um and like you know the MTA in defense of this current. Partly, in, you know, to, in defense of their current campaign said, you know, anyone who can't pay should look to this system or uh, program. But like the program right now is only open to people who are already receiving assistance in some certain ways specifically. And they're hoping to open it up to everybody below the poverty line. But it's it's also that was a question I was going to ask you. Um, I don't know if we have time for it, but, you know, 
is that like for people who don't like who may be working 20 hours a day or whatever, like to have to also walk through a bureaucracy bureaucratic system that I'm sure is pretty difficult to get through just to like, you know, where they can just also just, you know what I mean? Like it's just another, it's people who don't have the money often don't have the time also to go through a system like that. That's something that my students deal with all the time. You know, they, they come to the school from work back to work programs or something like that. And then they end up missing class for these appointments. They have no Mm -hmm. um, consideration that they have children and things of that nature. We try to work with them, but honestly, you know, when it's that difficult just to feed yourself, yeah. How can you really judge somebody for coming to school late because they had to go to an HRA appointment? You know, you have to there's the the bow has to stop somewhere. Mm-hmm. You know, they have to have some sort of consideration. So um, it's not vandalizing like yeah. graffiti. That's different. You know, yeah, what I'm saying? I mean, the MTA got you mean the signage. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, the MTA actually put it out a cease and desist letter because they use the official MTA mm-hmm. logo. And it's like whoever gets caught putting these up is going to get charged <laughs> a fine, obviously. Um which is pretty, I don't know, it's pretty badass. I kind of love it. Yeah, um, I, everyone should go check them out. They, yeah. they look beautiful because they, they get the typeface and yeah. everything. It's an exact replica almost, but that's better. I mean, I We'll post the like link it. to our Facebook page yeah. later today so you guys Perfect. can check out some of the great art. All right, and now our first music break. We'll be back soon with some national news. I want you to know that I'm happy for you. I wish nothing but the best for you both. I know the version of me. Is she perverted like me? Would she go down on you in a theater? Does she speak eloquently? And would she have your baby? I'm sure she'd make a really excellent mother. Cause I love that she gave every day for
right. Sadly, cutting that song short in the interest of time once again. But that was in the uh, interest of time. Is it, are we renaming the show? I'm gonna get a tattoo called "In the Interest of I'm, Time." I'm getting into <laughs> it. Forehead. Um, that was uh, you ought to know. know by Alanis Morissette, a pick by Teresa. Great pick. Absolutely Teresa. love that song. Two weeks ago, you were talking about it. Was at, I at the Radio Free Brooklyn uh, monthly mixer? For ah, Listener, <laughs> great memory, Matt. My ears just perk up when you hear Alanis Morissette. <laughs> yeah, I, I absolutely love Alanis. Good choice. Um, all right, so uh, we are back. You're listening to Objection to the Rule on Radio Free Brooklyn, and we got some national news for you. Um, first up is uh, the Trump administration. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Here we go. Um, in its continued movement to turn back environmental regulations. The Trump administration this week declared that it would undo California's ability to set its own auto emission standards by revoking a special waiver that was granted to the state under the 1970 Clean Air Act. Uh, California has been a leader in creating legislation and aimed at battling pollution and climate change. And the Trump admin claims that these sorts of rules unfairly bind the entire auto industry and the rest of the nation to stricter standards. Uh, so is this government overreach or what? What about states' rights? Um, are we turning back laws from 1970? Yeah. What the fuck? Yeah. I, I can't. Yeah. I can't with the orange guy. Somebody else take this one. <laughs> there have to be, uh, to be fair, there have been updated waivers. So like apparently, I don't know if the waiver gets renewed or something. I'm a little bit vague on it, but it was renewed under the Obama administration as well. But they're trying to get rid of the entire thing. But yeah. why? Like who benefits from this? Yeah. We work so hard to make and these changes the happen. The auto industry actually, or like re- a bunch of representatives from the auto industry actually went to the to Trump and was like, we actually don't want you to turn back the regulations as much as you want to. And Trump got really mad about it, obviously. <laughs> but it's just like, it's just, it's appealing to a base that doesn't want to deal with it. He made, he made all these false claims when he announced he was doing it, saying, I mean, he made some, he made at least one false claim that was turning back, like getting rid of the emission standards, make it safer somehow, which is just completely, it doesn't, one doesn't have to do with the other specifically at all. Yeah. I think he had a tweet that just said jobs, jobs, jobs. <laughs> yeah. It's like why jobs also come from new industries, like, you know, low emissions industries, like. Clean I mean, energy, it, like jobs can be created in a lot of different ways. How many states are really taking these problems into their own hands, though? Like, what are we really saying? You know, I think that's some, some really forward thinking by California to even do that, which is what we all have to do when we're in the face of an administration that won't govern us accordingly. However, you know, the the idea that he's not signing on to things or stopping <laughs> you know, things that are already established or even turning back the hands of time. Like somebody stop this guy before mm-hmm. I go find him. And um. The, uh, one article I saw pointed out that the Reagan, I'm pretty sure uh, Reagan somehow set up the ability for California to have its own ability to set higher standards. So it's just like, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, <laughs> the, the zombie Reagan just yeah. like twirling, just like, Yay. what to make of this figure? <laughs> wow. Uh, any other thoughts, guys? Um, so. It, it, ha- yeah. it, just, it seems so. So personal the way that this administration attacks people just for like in in a very soap opera way. And I'm yeah. scared that once Trump discovers that skywriting <laughs> is a real thing, he's just going to go over California, New York City. Like the just- Wicked Witch of the West. <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, somebody should make a meme like that. I lo- oh, just put him in God. like the hat and the, the green face. Uh, no, you had to keep the orange face. It looked like an Oompa Loompa Witch. <laughs> Uh, okay, moving on to another national news story, a little bit lighthearted, Matt. You want to guide us through? I absolutely knew you were going to do this story. <laughs> before, okay. before I even seen it, I was like, he's got this one. 
All right, Area 51. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yes, this is not a very serious story, but I think it's nice to see America come together. Well, perhaps white America at least, because I didn't actually see any demographics. I don't want to assume everyone was on board with this <laughs> hilarious stunt. But like the beautiful moment in 2016 when Pokemon Go took over the streets, it was nice to see people get excited about something very stupid that wasn't destroying the world. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out uh, 2.1 million people said that they would they would attend the event on Facebook when it was posted. I think it was called something like, let's see them aliens. Or Stor- yeah, Storm Area 51, yeah. <laughs> let's see them aliens. Turns out about 75 actually showed up. Everyone seemed to be in on the joke and no one actually tried to storm the famous government research facility. Though some people did get arrested, one for indecent exposure <laughs> because he peed on a security gate. It was mostly an impromptu mini-festival for like-minded alien enthusiasts. What I like about this story is this just seems to be like a certain kind of unexplained percolation of like interest that just kind of pops up and you never see coming. Yeah. I, was, I was wondering if anybody else had any like memories of, of weird little things like that just kind of like bubbling to the surface and like, oh, shit, people are into aliens still? Yeah. I, mean, I thought it was like really refreshing because when I was a kid, that was like a cool thing. No, like to what, be Area I feel 51. Like, well, aliens, period. Like, no, <laughs> like nobody ever talks about that anymore. I, you know, it's like interesting to see that people are are becoming in their interest, if you will, about something that nobody really knows about. You know, um, but I, I was excited to see that people cared and all of the, like the little fake alien um, the blow up dolls. I like really oh, want yeah. one of those. I don't know. Why, I love that but. it's a one specific. There's the one specific yeah, alien like that they that got guy. the shape from. Yeah, They probably um, don't look anything like that. <laughs> probably look like a lot of different things. Um. Aliens scare the shit out of me. <laughs> I don't want to meet one. And I never understood. They freaked me out. My father used to date somebody. Well, they eventually oh, An alien? Oh, no, not, not an alien. She was a very nice lady, but she was very into the X-Files. And oh. I was alone. Yeah. I'm like, what the hell is this? like keep it away from me but like it's nice that you know people come together i guess yeah but and for something not violent yeah Yeah. right even though even though they did say storm in the invite it had a intent like potential to become violent yeah Um, i thought it was going to get out of hand and and, like start as a joke and then just everyone's just kind of like weird scared deer just like start like (laughs) well funny enough uh in one of the articles i was reading about the climate strikes there were like a reporter overheard a couple teens saying like, dang, it was it's rough that they scheduled this for the same day as the Storm Area 51. It made me really like have to prioritize <laughs> oh. my life in a certain way. So maybe it got like downplayed because the world's ending as we know. It. <laughs> um, but yeah, thanks, Matt, for that little fun one. Yeah, a little fun. That, that's thought? what they call me. <laughs> I saw Little Wayne with... Um, Blink-182 on Friday. Oh, fun. Wow. Did they play Aliens Exist? It was insane. Was it? I bet yes, it was. They, they did play that song. <laughs> I love that. Um, Didn't Mark Hoppus share pictures of something recently? It was like the, their official UFO pictures. <laughs> yeah. I saw some crazy news. I was like, excuse me? Yeah. Like they're real? It's too much. Guys. Yeah, the, the former lead singer of Blink-182, according to a headline that I believe is very misleading. Or Tom. Tom DeLong got... Yeah. Oh. The FBI to admit yeah. to aliens <laughs> existing, and I was like, I'm, "This too probably much. I'm cutting this off. I'm cutting this off. Ah, I'm cutting this off." Um, all right, thank you for that. So we're going to take one more musical break, uh, or maybe our second musical, whatever, another musical break, 
before we get into the world news uh, with much more serious stuff, uh, including drone strikes in Saudi Arabia and xenophobia in South Africa. Stay tuned, everybody. was What's Going On by Uncle Marvin Gaye. <laughs> uh, such a befitting song. That's our throwback for the day, but it's like a timeless track, don't you think? Certainly. All right, so on to world news. What you got on the document? World news. Um, I actually didn't report this story. Uh, Emily, did you do the well, Saudi Arabia one? Oh, that was you, Teresa. Oh, yes, it if is you me. D- if you'd like to share. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, it's up to you. Yeah, I was like all in my... I love pictures. talking. So I, I just don't want to take it. You, you did a I great did, did recap a, of it. Thank you. Um, so I was really, the reason I chose the story is because like I was completely lost in the sauce um, <laughs> about this whole thing. And I feel like a lot of people are like, they know something's happening. Um, something happened over there with the oil and now we having all these problems. But if you, um, the real problem is starting to hit our money and it's going to start hit our resources. So this is just kind of a recap of the actual uh, drone attacks in Saudi Arabia and what's going on. Um, so on Saturday, September 14th, 
Two vital oil facilities belonging to Saudi Arabia state-run oil company Armco were attacked in what appeared to be 10 drones by what appeared to be 10 drones and nearly 20 missiles. The Houthis, 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 I yeah. think that's how you say it, the Houthis. Yeah. Um, the Iran-aligned Iran rebel army that has been fighting in a Saudi-led military coalition in neighboring Yemen for the past four years claimed responsibility for the attack. According to the UN, the Houthis recently acquired powerful drone technology that has been giving them the power to strike targets up to 1,500 kilometers away. Uh, Western and Saudi, go- Saudi governments believe Iran has been assisting the Houthis to acquire the use of the advanced drones a charge both Tehran and Yemen rebels deny. So it's kind of this back and forth of where they actually getting it from. Um, the government of Tehran has said that they are not supporting them, but they have supported them in the past. However, the U.S. has squarely blamed the attacks on Iran, seeing it as part of a pattern of threats to oil tankers and infrastructure in the past months, motivated by the American sanctions on Iran after the Trump administration withdrew from a nuclear deal with Tehran. The assault shut down half of the company's produ- production hitting the global oil market hard and triggering the largest oil price spike in roughly 30 years. Economists believe the oil price prices could rise higher if Armaco cannot bring back supplies um, quickly or if the military action, if there is military action in the Gulf. Higher oil prices can drag on global growth, drag down global growth, and by pushing up transport costs of petroleum-based products, it will change inflation uh, gr- dramatically. So President Trump tweeted on Sunday that the U.S. was locked and loaded, quote unquote, for a retaliatory strike to defend Saudi Arabia. The president has approved deployment of U.S. forces, which will be defensive in nature and primarily focused on air and missile defense. U.S. Secretary of Defense Mike Esper said this in a news conference on Friday. So Iran's top diplomat responded to Trump's statement warning of an all out war should the U.S. attack a strike, uh, strike an attack. All right, guys. So we're here. Mm -hmm. Um, We are in the last year of this presidency. To me, this is um, one thing that we all have been waiting for. And I say that, you know, facetiously, but honestly, it's one of those things that we we I feel like we've seen it coming, but we really have not. Um, And now it's here. I mean, he okayed the troops to go over. So there's so many issues with this story here. All right. So why is the United States responsible for responding to an attack on Saudi Arabia? Have you, exactly. Right. Who, exactly. We, we, which one of us has the guts to right. uh, take on that foreign policy? We, we love Saudi Arabia because of business, right? Even yeah. though they're everything that we uh, declare to hate, um, they're they're massive well, players in the oil industry. They're not everything we claim to hate, like Iran is, right? But like yeah. at the heart of it, the difference is that Saudi Arabia plays nice and exactly. gives us oil. They plays in the sandbox with us, right? Um, but they are not one of our direct allies. You know, Mm. that's that's the big thing in foreign policy that we should be aware of. You know, we have our allies and they and we have all these bases everywhere to protect ourselves. But in all actuality, they're not on the list. So Mm. for us to go to um, their aid in this capacity, I think um, it's something to think about. Mm. What do you ladies think? You have to be an expert. (laughs) I'm not an expert. I'm just trying to understand it. Do you guys think that this is a smart move or. I think whenever it. I'm I don't know as much as I should know about like these issues, but I just think of all the potential like innocent lives lost mm-hmm. yeah. that people that have, you know, if you're sitting down to, to dinner, someone presses a button and then boom, like you've been blown up. So I have a difficult time thinking that 
there's ever a good reason mm-hmm. for these things, especially when it's not as though you have, you know, someone coming into your home and you're protecting yourself it's like you're protecting a business interest. Yeah. And um, so, yeah, I just. I'm not a praying person, but <laughs> I, I hope it does not happen. And, you know, I'm the people in those countries are in my thoughts because, you know, they're just like you and I, like they're mm-hmm. not necessarily directly responsible for whatever their leaders are doing. And it's just. Yeah, it's fucked up. And the U.S. military, another huge polluter and bully around mm-hmm. the world, yeah. in my yeah. opinion. So, yeah. and, and it doesn't it doesn't seem like any of the major players actually want war. Uh, the The U.S. Um, the Trump administration is is a funny thing because they're so um, masculine and like toxic masculine about like wanting to look tough, but they don't like war. Like Trump is trying to get out of of the Middle East. At uh, least that's trying what he to, said. Yeah. Well, yeah, and yeah, it's, it's so confusing because yeah. it's, it's, it's these, it's these conflicting, um, conflicting motivations and Saudi Arabia and Iran have been, been very odd because they haven't been directly at war. They've, they've just been every proxy war in yes. the region in Yemen mm-hmm. and in Syria, they, they just pick sides the same way that we just pick sides. Mm-hmm. And it, it's just such a sad, um, what's the phrase? Like when elephants fright or fight, like all the mice die. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Huh. Unfortunate byproduct maybe. Yeah. Well, well it's always a proxy wanna... war yeah. um, with these, with these nations. And I just, you know, I think it's interesting that Trump feels like he can, um, what people don't think about when they think of war, well, yeah, we think about the people on the ground and uh, that, you know, that all of this stuff is happening, but the cost of war is ridiculous. And um, the people in our lives who are a part of the armed forces are now going to be drafted to go. You know, some students, some people are still on active duty and at home right now because there's nothing going on or they're stationed somewhere on one of our naval bases or something like that. But the reality that he's actually you know, deploying people and in this last year of his presidency, whom to say how long they will be gone, where are they going? You know, um, I just think it's really um, it's upsetting to know that I know people right now. I know students that are veterans and, you know, they they stay listed as active duty because even while they're in school, because their benefits are different and things of that nature. This is one of those things that can happen slowly that nobody's paying attention to. And before you know it, we wake up tomorrow morning and some shit is on the news and it's like, oh, World War Three has begun, and well, I know we're all waiting for it. But you know, I'm concerned, and I'm hoping that uh, Trump's ego and uh, his his need to be to want to get elected again will keep this from happening because the protectionist uh, bend of the kind of um, more wild uh, Republican conservative people they don't want to go on another forever war. So at least politically, <laughs> it doesn't look like. Anybody really wants to start World War Three over um, uh, some crazy uh, terrorist organization? Yeah, I mean, in yeah, in my research of doing this, I realized, um, you know, some of the articles that I read talked about how he has not had the best relationships with all of these international organizations, and some of the things that he's done during his presidency. Now he doesn't have friends in the international community, so to come and support his efforts to do this, it's going to be really hard for him to get that. Um, even, you know, as the UN meets this coming week, um, all of these different things that's coming up, nobody really wants to play with him. So even if he does have a good reason for 
you know, the stock market is is plunging right now. And can you guys remember when gas was like $8 a gallon? This is the type of stuff that's going to go up. Our cost of living, um, not just our cost of living, but for our oil, for our homes, to heat our homes, things like that. We will see this in the next six months if something is not done. So the the idea is that this is a major um, tanker that was taken down and a lot of their oil supply and what they do with it um, has really changed um, the dynamic of what's happening. So I just wanted everybody to be aware. Thank you, Teresa. You're welcome. And then uh, one more world news story from Mr. Matt. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Um, so going from talking about something I know very little about to something I know even less about, but <laughs> that's why I thought it'd be nice to talk about mm-hmm. it for all of our uh, education and erudition. Migration and xenophobia in South Africa. Recently, 12 people were killed in Johannesburg in a xenophobic attack on foreign-owned businesses. Since 2008, xenophobic attacks have gone up considerably. I kind of looked into that to see why, and I think it was mostly because a couple of the attacks were just more violent than the preceding ones. So the mm-hmm. numbers jumped a lot, but it's not like in 2008, right. xenophobic att- like xenophobia you know, jumped into existence. Got it. This has to do with uh, South Africa's comparative success and economic development compared to the rest of Africa. Unfortunately, South Africans on average are far from wealthy, and this has created a very hostile environment for foreigners who are seen as being job stealers. There's a couple of things that sound kind of familiar. Mm. Uh, Mm -hmm. It is connected to politics. There's a popular chant that says, bring me the machine gun, which is a phrase taken from a political uh, figure who says that major attacks come after politicians criticize migration. Uh, People have blamed uh, criminality and uh, job stealing on foreigners. So it it seems kind of like a universal uh, xenophobic thing. Um, And it's, it's not going away. There's not a a clear answer as to how to uh, stabilize, um, all of the uh, countries in Africa that are having a hard time where people would need to migrate from either as literal refugees from civil wars, uh, such as, let's see, in, in Mozambique, there was a civil war. The Democratic Republic of the Congo hasn't been so great. And in Zimbabwe, a lot of people have had to leave. And so how do you fix an entire economy <laughs> of a continent? I'm not exactly sure. Hmm. Wow. Uh- a lot going on there yeah i, yeah. I mean south africa is, is not deracialized I've, no. i went there a couple of years ago it's very uh hard to see because we live in this paradigm if you will called america where we are aware of these problems but we just kind of like exist in them and mm. south africa is a clear separation like mm. you can see and they will speak to you about it they will ask you questions about where you come from and what's it like where you live because they still live in a place where race is the demarcation point um, for community. And it's really interesting to see that people are now fighting back against foreigners because that's pretty much all that has ever happened there. Um, if you ask me that people come and they take and they live and they survive off the land while the people who are from there, um, are victims to this sort of, um, terrorism, if you will, um, in their own home country. So it's really sad. You know, it's, it's sad to see that these problems have not changed and they're continuing and even getting worse. Um, I don't think that we should fear going to South Africa, though, uh, just because it was one of the most beautiful places I've ever been. And the people were very kind. Um, And you definitely it's not what you see on television. It is 
one of the most beautiful places in the world. So mm-hmm. I don't want to stop anybody from going there because they have these problems, but they're, they're humans just like we are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so cool. I didn't know you went. Can you tell us more about that trip? Um, yeah, I actually went with my church. Um, you know, Emmanuel Baptist Church is awesome. Uh, we have a partnership with a um, local school there, um, a primary and a middle-aged school, and we partner with them in their community to rebuild some of the buildings and um, help establish the school on a better basis. We built the library, uh, we built the garden, we cleaned the grounds, and then the second portion of the trip was more vacation for us because all of us, um, you know, we we work a lot. So it was a two-week trip over Thanksgiving a couple of years ago, and we're actually going back next year. But it's nice to see that some of our efforts are actually being done. It's not like we're sponsoring someone we'll never see. Um, there are names and faces and people in the whole community that we connected with. And we do, we do still contribute to that, um, that school on a regular basis. Mm. So please go to South Africa. It's awesome. (laughs) One thing I I heard when I was listening to an interview about uh, this, uh, the xenophobic attacks is there was, and maybe this is just one commentator. So, and I don't know how like credible (laughs) professor was on the show, um, but he was saying that the legacy of apartheid had certain jobs to have a certain stigma to them. Mm. So like people didn't want to go back to jobs that they were forced to do under apartheid. And so you have foreigners, uh, other Africans moving in, taking those jobs because there seemed to be a, 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 um, they're not so dearth? connected. Is that the yeah, word? Darth, yeah. Darth. Yeah. Yeah. Um, thank uh, you. I think that's an interesting concept as well, because, um, you know, they don't feel as connected to the problem. Maybe these new people coming in, but they do need quality work. I mean, you can't really blame a person for doing that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, all right. Thank you for the world news. Um, so we're going to bulldoze right ahead. Um, we have actually three good news stories today. Woo-hoo! So we're going to hit them in quick good succession. Job, team. Good job. Um, some positivity to end your September. Um or maybe we have one more show in September, whatever, towards the end of September. <laughs> um, so we have Teresa and then both Jasmine and Sarah. Uh, Sarah All right. One. So let's just go boom, boom, boom. Okay, sounds Knock good. Knock them out. Teresa. All right. So dictionary.com is redefining the word black. Okay. So language matters. And this story is really great. Uh, my black is beautiful. You may have seen some of the... Um, some of the advertisement, I think they are connected to Procter & Gamble. They reached out to dictionary.com by redefining the word black. As a result of this conversation, they're making some updates and revisions that will help be rolled out into dictionary doc, on dictionary.com later this year. So if you look at dictionary.com today, the adjective there's an objective sense of black that refers to people in a third sense on the page. So you know how they have the three different definitions? The third one is the one that actually refers to people. Um So that's one of the things they're changing. Currently, this definition sits right above the definition that reads soiled or stained with dirt. While there is no semantic links between these two senses, their proximity on the page can be harmful. So it can lead to unconscious associations between the words and identify it as a negative term. So they will be now moving the actual uh, black that is referring to the people as the number one definition. So they're moving it, um, you know, on the page. And they're um, also going to be doing a few other things like capitalizing the word black. So um, when you capitalize the word and you're speaking of a race, it shows a sign of respect and recognition. Um, it had not been doing that before. 
So this is a common practice with many other terms that uh, describe culture and ethnicity. So now they'll be capitalizing, they'll be redirecting the definition. um, And I think also examining some other things like the footnotes and things of that nature. Um, So way to go dictionary.com. It only took 2000 years. Language matters. (laughs) But I think that's so awesome because it is setting the precedent for other online platforms. And this is how people learn, you know, so at the very basis, they will be learning from a very respective standpoint. So Mm -hmm. I am happy about about that. And the language you use matters. It, yes. it can be used to both dehumanize and humanize um, our fellow humans. <laughs> human, human, human. Yeah. Um, I, and I think Malcolm X is is looking on um, mm-hmm. uh, proud. Yeah. So I think maybe that was just in the movie that the whole, but yeah, that, that whole, um, I think that was part of like his teachings where he's like, also James Baldwin, um, he made yeah. a lot of quotes about how he was a writer and he, I just watched a documentary this week talking about how the writer has to understand that the language he uses is already used against him. So he has to learn how to turn those words around to make sense. So. Wow. Awesome. I'm sure they're rolling over in their grave right now. All right. Yeah. Thanks, Teresa. And then Jasmine, thank you so much for contributing this week. What's your good news story? Okay. So this is, um, I guess, a continuation on a theme. Mm-hmm. Like, black is beautiful, black is great. And it's actually something I thought was happening this year, but apparently it's next year. Mm-hmm. So um, Terrence Blanchard, I'm not sure if everyone's familiar, but he's yeah. a world-renowned like jazz composer. <clears throat> I've known him mostly as someone who's worked on a lot of scores. Uh, for Spike Lee, mm. he is he's written <clears throat> an opera called um, "A Fire Shut Up in My Bones," and it's based on the memoir of um, a New York City-based writer, Charles Blow. But I happened to meet randomly at a bar like a couple oh, weeks cool. ago. He's a ve- he's very nice. Charles is very <laughs> cool. He writes a lot of opinion pieces for the New York Times. So um, Charles's memoir is about growing up as a young black person in uh, Louisiana. Uh, Terrence Blanchard, the composer, is a New Orleans native. And the woman who is writing the libretto, who's writing the words, is Casey Lemons. And she's a Louisiana-based um, director and writer who is famous for Eve's Bayou. Okay. So it's 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 really awesome, in my opinion, that this is going to get a chance to be at the Met because there's not very many um, opportunities for um, Black Opera singers outside of Othello, mm-hmm. Aida, and Porgy and Bess, which mm-hmm. were all written by non-Black people yeah. very long ago. So it's great to um, see that there's going to be an opportunity for there to be um, a full cast of people with a very strong sense of place and Black culture. Yeah, because um, you know the Met needs some new material. Mm-hmm. I mean, exactly. they need <laughs> to, to the bring least. different yeah. people in and you know make it more inclusive. So I think this is a step in the right direction. That's awesome. Thank you Field so much, Jasmine. Yeah, and then Sarah, we have a, a nice environmental related yeah, story. Yeah, I was going to say bringing it right back to where we started, yeah. but maybe a little bit more positive note. Um, dolphins. So uh, I came across a story about some volunteers that helped bring four dolphins that were trapped in a St. Petersburg, Florida, in a canal, and they were able to find their way out after the rescuers guided them toward the opening of a bridge um, because they were trapped. They couldn't see the bridge as an opening, so the rescuers made a chain and were able, the dolphins felt their presence with the echolocation, the vibrations off of their bodies, and so they were able to lead them to the the opening in the bridge and be able to be herded out, Um, which it seems like... I was like, well, why does it matter? Because they were in the water. But apparently the low salinity could have been fatal because they need like a certain amount of salinity to survive. So 
they got them out in time and they were saved. So that's Yay! the goodest of the good Dolphins. news, right? <laughs> I love dolphins, but yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but they they do like I don't. I mean, they do harm humans sometimes. They can. They're they're smarter than we think. They're right. yeah. yeah. But I'm not to get too graphic about it. But look it up. Apparently, these were friends. <laughs> yeah, so good dolphins. Good. They they can be really good. But um, thank you so much, guys. Uh, any last thoughts on the show before we do all the wrap up? wording and Radio Free Brooklyn and all that jazz. I just want to tell everybody to go outside and get some sun. Mm, Tomorrow is the first day of autumn and it is exceedingly gorgeous outside Mm. right now. A little too hot for me, but Oh, go get some sun. (laughs) But yeah, make sure you get a frozen drink and enjoy your Sunday. Yeah. All right. Cool. Anybody else? All right. All right. So, um, a little, a little Radio Free Brooklyn News specifically. Well, you've been listening to Objection to the Rule, your Sunday news hour. Uh, We'll be back next week at 1 p.m. You can catch all our shows on RadioFreeBrooklyn.org or on the Radio Free Brooklyn app. Um, And we also have a new sponsor. Um, So after more than a year of dreaming, researching, experimenting, late night conference calls and early Saturday morning meetings, the um, Me Bottle team is happy and the Me team is happy and proud to present you the Me Bottle. Um, This double insulated reusable stainless steel bottle disinfects water in a 60 second cycle utilizing UVC LED technology and is 99.99% effective against E. coli. A single charge uh, via micro USB lasts up to 30 days and the bright LED display lets you know when water is ready to drink. Join us in bringing clean water to all. Raise your bottle and drink to you and me. Find out more at mebottle.com. So yay, sponsors. Yeah, thank you, me yeah, bottle. Me thank bottle. you, me bottle. Thank you. And you guys can always contribute to Radio Free Brooklyn. We are a 501c3. If you are interested in um, helping us continue the show and continue the station, log on to our website or onto the app and make a contribution. Yeah, and check out our uh, Objection to the Rule Facebook page too. Yes, we are posting some of the stories that we talked about today and throughout the week we'll have some updates as well, specifically on the UN climate the UN conference this week. Yeah. Mm. All right. So uh, we're going to close out with a few seconds of B.O.B. from Outcast. How An- befitting. Another yeah. show. Another <laughs> good choice from Teresa. And then uh, have a great weekend, everybody. Bye. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks for listening. Right.